Welcome as you join us for this service from the Ellesmereport Methodist Churches here on the Wirral. I'm actually preaching today at Greasby Methodist Church so they'll be sharing in this service live but however you are joining us we pray that God will really bless you through the words you hear and through the way the Spirit speaks into your heart. Let's pray. Lord, as we draw near to you today, may we know your presence. Speak to us through the words we hear. Speak to us through your spirit into our hearts as we meditate on your greatness and on your love. In Jesus' name, Amen. And we begin with great hymn, We Have a Gospel to Proclaim. Rejoice to name him King, Jesus is Lord of all the earth. This gospel message we proclaim, we sing his glory 
tell his worth. We have two Bible readings together now, read to us by Sarah Wardle and Julia Pike from Little Sutton Church. I'm sure you'll see the connection. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. John chapter 10, reading verses 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not as this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This next song picks up that theme of the shepherd. It's one I recorded years ago when we were in India with two good friends. Louise, who was an English fiddle player, and Sanjeev, who was an Indian sitar master. It will lead us into our prayers of recognition of just where we stand with God as we come before him in confession. The Lord is my shepherd. Oh 
forget Chasing the dark Bringing the light Staring a love yet of this song remind us that you see everything but that your eye is one of love and concern we are aware of the marks and blemishes we carry in our hearts in our minds we have thought and spoken wrongly we have failed to love as we should we have seen our brothers and sisters in need and we have not helped them forgive us lord We are aware also of the wounds and the pain we carry in our hearts, in our minds. We have been injured by the words and actions of others and by the grief we have felt at our own many unkindnesses. Heal us, Lord. But most of all, we are aware of your love and your strength, the love that will not let us go. We ask that you will chase away the darkness in our lives, bring us into your dawn and make us whole. In Jesus' name. So often when we come before God, we come with a need to be healed, with a need to be heard. And we're so thankful that God is prepared to listen to our faintest cry and is prepared to bring healing where there are wounds and bring correction where there are faults. We're going to listen to a great hymn written by Rob Bell and Graham Maul from the Iona community. It's a very well-known tune, Ye Banks and Braes of Bonnie Doon. 
actually in listening to this tune I, I listened to the first time properly to that song and it's a wonderful song of lament worth using sometime in a service in, in and of itself but here it is used for the words written by Rob and Graham we cannot measure how you heal or answer every sufferer's prayer yet we believe your grace responds where faith and doubt unite to care friends 
Lord, let your Spirit meet us here to mend the body, mind, and soul to disentangle peace from First letter of John, chapter 3, verses 16 to 24. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has seen the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need, and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth, and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from Him whatever we ask, because we obey His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we should believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. All who obey His commandments abide in Him and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit he has given us. I have learned a new skill during lockdown. Knitting. Well, not exactly. I can't actually knit, but I've become pretty good at interpreting knit knitting patterns for my wife. Have a look at this. Can you follow all that? If so, please come round to my house after lockdown finishes and give me a break. Now, I'm not really comparing the Bible to a knitting pattern, but certainly in passages like the one we've just heard read, there is a, a complexity to it and it pays to give close attention to the words and see how they're all put together. It's only when you follow it carefully, line by line, that you really get the complete message. So what's the overall picture that this passage is endeavouring to give us? Well, if you glance through, you'll see a few key words that help us straight away. Three words stick out to me, love. This is John's great theme. He was known as the apostle of love. And right through his letters, you'll see the emphasis on love. Commandments. Now that's interesting because what it's telling us is that the love that, that John is talking about 
is not some woolly kind of feel good oh everything will be all right in the end do what you like kind of experience but it's rooted in behavior and in belief and then the third word that sticks out that's used a lot and john uses it a lot uh, in his gospel and in his letters is this word abide it's a nice old-fashioned word that we don't talk about very much uh, we know the hymn abide with me that's probably the first thing that comes to mind but of course the noun associated with that verb is abode that's a little bit more common and we all know the expression no fixed abode and it strikes me that that's actually a good description for a lot of people emotionally and spiritually in our day and age they're people with no fixed abode proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this keep your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life in second corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 paul gives quite similar advice examine yourselves to see whether you are living in the faith test yourselves so this passage we're looking at today is likewise focused on the heart and encourages us to examine ourselves it does two things it offers us a test and it offers us reassurance its intention is not to sow doubt in our hearts but to draw us into closer obedience to God and, and richer and deeper fellowship and relationship with Christ. May God do that for us as we meditate on this passage together today. We're going to think about three kinds of heart that I'm sure we've all experienced at one time or another. The first heart we're going to talk about is the condemning heart. I don't know whether it's just me, uh, whether it's my age or whether it's the lockdown, but it's certainly much more frequent for me now that as I'm doing nothing in particular or as I'm walking around or something catches my attention or I read something and it vividly brings back some incident in life and often it comes with a pang of a sense of guilt and a sense of wrong. Uh, David used an expression in one of his Psalms where he said, my sins are always before me. And there's a, a sense in which we often get reminded, or I do anyway, of things that I've said, things that I've done, which, oh gosh, I wish I could go back and, and swallow that. There's one or two that come to mind regularly and I think, how could you have spoken in such an unkind way how could you have demeaned that person in that way it doesn't bear thinking about sometimes i got a an interesting quite lengthy email from a, a former colleague from when we worked in india at woodstock school and essentially this is going back maybe seven or eight years she was writing to ask my forgiveness she was writing to say that it had slowly dawned on her and she'd realised that when we were working together she treated me badly and she hadn't shown me 
as it were, the respect that was due as a fellow Christian, but as someone in authority, you know, this this kind of thing. She just felt bad and felt she wanted to put it right. Well, it was quite nice to be able to write back to her and say that it, it wasn't something that had weighed on my mind. I had no grudge against her. I could hardly remember the incidents. I had to sort of think back and realise what she was talking about. That's one of the advantages of having a really bad memory. Uh, you've got to work really hard to insult me in such a way that I'll remember it and carry a grudge against you because I, I, I tend to forget what's going on half the time. But on a more serious note, it was good to be able to write back to her and say, in one sense, her concerns were um, not justified because f as far as I was concerned, it wasn't something that had hurt me. It wasn't something that had lived with me. But in another sense, it was really good that she'd done this. Because it's often said that um, forgiveness and guilt and things like that, they they reflect more on, on the person who's carrying the burden than on the person who's being offended. And so it was wonderful to be able to write to her and say, you know what, you've done a good thing and may, may God bless you for that. You haven't hurt me, but I'm so glad that you've put this right in your own heart. And sometimes we have to do that. And sometimes we have to go back to things that we've said to people, things that we've done. And we have to re recognise what we've done wrong. That's one way in which our hearts condemn us. And it's good that our hearts are sensitive to things like this. There's another way in which our hearts condemn us, which is not so positive. And that is when in our hearts we begin to disbelieve. We begin to ask ourselves, how can this be true? We begin to wonder whether there is a God. We begin to wonder whether, even if there is a God, why would he be interested in me? And if he was interested in me, it would only be to look at me and say, what a mess. Look at this person, full of doubts, full of fears. Why would I want anything to do with them? It's a difficult situation to find yourself in, but it's not that unusual. The enemy of our souls is forever uh, wandering round, prowling round, the Bible says, like a lion looking for prey. And the primary thing he does is to sow doubt. It's his age-old approach. Right back in the Garden of Eden, you remember he said to, to Eve and Adam, did God really say that you mustn't do this? Did God say this? Did God? Is God? Can you trust God? They're the sorts of condemnations if you like that we experience in our hearts of course the whole clue to this lies in the very word faith if we had a measurable objective visible certainty we'd not have faith we'd have no need for faith one day there will be sight but not yet so how do we reassure our hearts when we feel condemned or uncertain. It used to be called 
assurance of salvation and it's so important in our lives how do we reassure ourselves the second kind of heart that john talks about here you could say is the reassured heart john says this little children let us love not in word or speech but in truth and action and by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Here's the first of our key words, love. It's said that when John was aged and infirm, he would be carried on his stretcher into the church and propped up at the front, <laughs> the last living apostle. And they'd say, do you have a word for us, John? Do you have a word for us? And all he would say is, little children, love one another. No doubt he was remembering the words of Jesus which he recorded in his gospel. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John absolutely batters this point home throughout this letter. In verse 9 of chapter 2 he says, Whoever says I am in the light while hating a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Then in chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Later on in chapter 4, those who say I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. But John wasn't thinking of warm fuzzy feelings and this is where in order to be reassured, we have to be challenged. He says this, How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. This is a test of love. It's to do with actions, not feelings. John specifically refers to brothers and sisters who are in need of the world's goods. It's not about just emotional support, a counsel, praying for people, important as these all are. He's talking about money, food, shelter. How can you say you love God? if you see brothers and sisters in need of those basic worldly things and yet you don't lift a hand to help. Now Methodist churches rightly have a good reputation for serving those in need and during the pandemic several of our churches have been really heavily involved and done sterling work in terms of food banks and social supermarkets and such like. But let me personalise it, how do I respond when I am made aware of a brother or sister somewhere in the world who is starving or homeless. This is where we find out whether or not God's love abides in us, has made its home in our hearts. John Wesley, it said, died with virtually nothing. His motto was, well known, earn all you can, Save all you can, by which he meant economise all you can, not stuff it all in a bank account. And give all you can. In these difficult days, that's an attitude we'd all do well to cultivate. 
But there's a more general lesson here as well. It's this, that our lives in God should be evidenced by our behaviour. Not in word or speech, but in truth and action. To go back to my knitting pattern, I'm becoming quite the expert at interpreting patterns and explaining what needs to be done. But I can't knit. I can only claim to be a knitter if I go beyond understanding the theory and learn how to turn the words on the page into a finished garment. So the third kind of heart that we see in this passage, we could call it the bold heart. John acknowledges that our hearts will condemn us. This is his choice of words. Whenever our hearts condemn us, it will keep happening. But he holds out the hope that we can move beyond that into a different state. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God. Paul says this in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In a very real sense, the disquiet and guilt we feel in our hearts is not the final word. John says here in verse 20, God is greater than our hearts. Our salvation doesn't depend on what we do, but on what God has done. Our response and the evidence of his grace in our lives is that we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. Here's our second keyword, if you like, commandments. And what is his commandment? That we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Now, the idea of loving one another seems appropriate as a commandment. But we're also commanded to believe. That seems strange. But it just indicates that obedience and faith are closely bound together. Faith is sometimes obeying when you don't really feel it or get it. You could say faith is acting as if it was true, even when you're not always sure that it is faithfully following the path set before us and as we obey God our faith grows some of the old hymns just put it the best very succinctly trust and obey but there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey and then comes our third keyword and in a way the key keyword the key to it all all who obey his commandments abide in him and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he's given us. Abide, abide, abide. Live in his commandments. Read the Bible. Know what he's saying. Let the word dwell richly in you, as Paul says in Colossians, and allow the Holy Spirit free reign to live in you. He abides in us because he abides in us by the spirit he has given us. Our hearts are naturally restless. We get things wrong and they condemn us. We grow cold towards God and they need to be warmed. We harden ourselves against people we don't like. We keep looking for evidence as to why we don't like them. 
They need to be softened. All this God will do. He set himself to perfect us and he won't stop. But where do we rest? Not in our own efforts or energies, our generosity, our love for others. 1 John 3.16 at the start of our passage today says this, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. 1 John 3.16, that inevitably takes me back to John 3.16, the great 3.16 of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. If your heart condemns you, make that a reason and a prompt to turn to Christ to receive his mercy and to put right anything that's wrong between you and a brother or sister. Then be bold in God and receive all the good things he has for you. May God bless this meditation on his word. Amen. This hymn picks up the theme of love from the message. It's sung by a guy called Matt Beckingham. I met Matt a few years ago on a local preacher's training conference and we played together in the sort of scratch worship band that, that, that led the worship for that conference. He's a very gifted musician and I'm glad to see that he's made good use of the lockdown by producing a whole series of songs and hymns which are well worth listening to if you look for him on YouTube. So Matt Beckingham sings Let Love Be Real. Let love be real in giving and receiving Without the need to manage and to own A haven free from posing and pretending Where every weakness may be safely known Give me your hand along the desert pathway Give me your love wherever we may go As God loves us, so let us love each other With no demands, just open hands and space to grow Grasping or confining That strange embrace That holds yet sets us free That helps us face The risk of truly living And makes us brave To be what we might be 
Give me your strength when all my words are weakness. Give me your love in spite of all you know. As God loves us, so let us love each other. With no demands, just open hands and space to grow. Let love be real, with no manipulation. No secret wish to harness or control. Let us accept each other's incompleteness and share the joy of learning to be whole. Give me your hope through dreams and disappointments. Give me your trust when all my failings show. As God loves us, so let us love each other With no demands, just open hands and space to grow With no demands, just open hands and space to grow So now, let's pray for ourselves and for others. Lord, we pray for ourselves that we may have tender hearts open to the needs of others, humble hearts aware of our many faults and shortcomings, and bold hearts able to bring our requests before you with confidence. We pray for our church, that it will be characterised by love for one another, and that no one will be left in need of physical, emotional or spiritual support. We pray for our country, for wise leadership in difficult times, for honesty and integrity in public life. In this week of her birthday and with her recent loss in mind, we pray for our Queen, that her faith in you will strengthen and sustain her. And we pray for our world, that your grace will be made known in every corner and that multitudes will find their rest in you we pray that the power of the gospel shall prevail over sin poverty destitution and death for we know in christ all things are possible we ask these things in jesus name amen we say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
I don't think there's a better benediction than the very simple one which John used again and again. Little children love one another. Amen. <laughs>